Welcome to Jazz Piano Skills. I'm Dr. Bob Lawrence. It's time to discover, learn, and play jazz piano. Today you are in for a real treat. I had a chance to sit down and talk with New York City-based jazz pianist, composer, arranger, producer, and educator, John Martino. And if you are not familiar with John, then you are going to be blown away. John is considered a shapeshifter for his creativity across musical genres. This is 100% true. All you have to do is peruse his discography, which you can easily do at his website, johndmartino.com, and you will immediately see the incredible diversity of his playing, of his recordings, from traditional jazz to classical literature to various Latin and pop styles. John has recorded numerous CDs on the High Note and Venus Records labels as a leader and with such greats as Freddie Cole, Gloria Lynn, Houston Person, and Nikki Parat. John is a longtime member of Ray Barreto's New World Spirit. He has featured ranger and pianist on many of Ray's recordings, including the Grammy-nominated CD Contact and Portraits in Jazz and Clave, featuring James Moody, Kenny Burrell, Joe Lovano, Steve Torre, and Eddie Gomez. John's latest CD is Passion Flower, featuring the music of Billy Strayhorn, which you must absolutely check out. NEA jazz master Sheila Jordan says about John, John's soul and being come straight through to his music. The jazz world needs him. Wow. Jazz pianist great Benny Green says, John Martino is one of my favorite, absolute personal favorite pianists of today. His music is an honest outpouring of light. Fantastic compliments. I can go on and on about the accolades of John Martino, but let's get on with the interview. You can listen to the audio version of this episode through any of the popular podcast directories such as iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Pandora, and on and on and on. Or you can go directly to the Jazz Piano Skills Podcast website, jazzpianoskillspodcast.com, where you can also watch the video of the show as well, which I strongly recommend doing. Now, it is my great pleasure and honor to welcome to Jazz Piano Skills, Mr. John Martino. John Martino, Man, I can't even believe I'm sitting here looking at oh. you, man. <laughs> you are like, you are like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put this in perspective. I was talking to my boys last mm -hmm. night and I was telling them that you were coming on Jazz Piano Skills. And, you know, my boys are high school, junior high school, high school. I got another, I got another son out there in, uh, in Newark, New Jersey playing baseball. Oh, really? wow. And uh, yeah. And so, uh, so anyway, I was talking to my boys, I was telling them that you were coming on and of course they're all in the, they're all in the sport. So they don't, they don't know anything about music and they go, well, who is, who is this guy, dad? They're asking me, who is this guy? I said, well, let me put it in perspective because they're sports guys. I said, this is like, this is like, uh, the Michael Jordan of jazz piano. This is like Mickey. This is like, this is like the Mickey mantle uh, 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 of jazz piano. 
and uh, they they immediately got it. So, man, I, so I am th- I am thrilled that you are here. So, I'm very flattered. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. So, listen, you know, uh, I, I, we could spend a lot of times. I, I I'm just going to tell listeners right away, all the jazz panel skills listeners, they just need to go to your website first of all, and if they want to hear you play, if they're not familiar with your playing. They want to hear you play in all the recordings that you have done mm-hmm. over the years and the, and the musicians that you have performed and played with. They just need to go to your website and and spend the day just going through that and listening, right? It's so so with that being <laughs> – oh, yeah. there's a, Man, there's just – you know, I was listening – I was just listening to a lot of your stuff last night again, and I was just like, you know, speechless, you know, especially the uh, – the, the the jazz the, I, and we'll talk about this a little later too the jazz Mozart stuff oh, uh, that you. you did man oh my gosh that was like that's that's crazy good but anyway I want to just turn the microphone over to you right now and I want you to kind of share with all the jazz piano skills listeners your beginnings your childhood how you got into music your influences your education your background how did it all start for you well. I think it starts uh, with, uh, <clears throat> I have a brother who's uh, about nine years older, and he was a theater person, so always in the house was theater music. So when I'm growing up, you know, I'm listening to West Side Story, and in fact, to this day, when I hear music from West Side Story, I have a real strong emotional reaction because uh, I heard wow. it as a child, but uh, I, I remember all these great musicals like Gypsy and even some uh, Beyond the Pale stuff like Marat Saad. So as a little kid, I'm singing all these right. songs, singing Anthony Newley songs, you know, from Stop the World to Get Off and, uh, and, uh, wow. and uh, Roar the Grease Paint, Smell the Crowd, you know. So uh, so that was my first influence. And uh, my brother, my older brother, uh, when he was in college, he was dating a classical flute player. So I think that turned him on to a lot of classical. So he also introduced me to a lot of classical music, mainly Baroque, you know. Like I still, my favorite version of Takata and Fugue is still E Power Biggs, you know, which is probably, there's probably a lot more versions, but uh, I, I, right. the way he played it, I, right. nobody ever sounds the same to me after that. Like that's ingrained in me, you know, right. whatever you hear, but like, I fell in love with that version because, you know, that piece has a lot of, uh, there's a lot of room. It's basically rubato. There's a lot of room to interpret. Right. And then, uh, it, it, it's funny. I kind of came into jazz in a weird way, uh, Kind of through Frank Zappa, through my brother, I kind of got into Frank Zappa, early Frank Zappa. Wow. And, uh, yeah. you know, he would credit on the back of his uh, LPs all these great jazz musicians. I mean, he even has a piece called Eric Eric, Eric Dolphy Memorial Barbecue. And, and he talked about Charles Mingus. So um, I started to check out jazz, and I think it's when I'm around 12 years old that I really got bit with the bug for jazz. And all oh, I, I, I really knew that I, I, I didn't quite understand everything yet, but um, I wanted to uh, learn more about jazz. Uh, my mother, big jazz enthusiast, especially singers, so she was always feeding me singers records, you know, like Gloria Lynn, for example, and years later I wound up playing with Gloria Lynn. It was a big thrill for me to play the folks who live on the hill wow. with her because my mother used to play wow. me that recording, and I had a couple older cousins that were really big jazz enthusiasts, and they'd be feeding me records. Um, it's funny, my first, uh, when I was uh, 12 years old, I was uh, playing a violin. That was my first instrument. And I had got into, uh, I had learned some basic principles of uh, blues, very 
very, very primitive blues, you know, uh, you know, uh, very primitive blues. And that's actually my right, first right. experience with improvisation is playing the blues on the violin. And I also played the harmonica. I played the, uh, not the chromatic. I never graduated to the chromatic, but I played the little blues harp. And it's funny, a little friend of mine, his name is Jonathan Yetkin. We would jam together. We take turns soloing and the other would back up. And, uh, I got real interested, started to get the bug for jazz and I wanted to learn about jazz and the, and the more complicated harmony. And I remember at the time he wasn't interested in that. He wanted to stay in the, in the blues and make a long story short. We're both still in music. He wound up moving to Nashville and he plays, he played for years with Leon Russell. And he's actually one of the, one of the right. Nashville guys. He, now he plays all the string instruments and he's a session guy. So we stayed in music, but we went, went different ways. And we recently connected via Facebook. Um, but I, when I was a little kid, I had played some accordion, but I don't know. I vaguely remember that, uh, cause I don't play it today. And I, when I was about eight years old, I studied drums, but I never really kept it up. So somehow from the violin, you know, I would always run to the piano. And, uh, I think I was 15 years old. I started playing with a, uh, basically like a, a, a wedding band. It was a very humble situation, but I was learning. Right. And I remember one of the musicians was, kind of sloppy with his possessions. So he left all these fake books all over, which had like every tune that I'm still playing to this day. And uh, I didn't appreciate them as much as a kid. I'd say, oh, that's a good tune. And I'd rip a page out, which I, which I really wish I didn't do because he left these two volumes that I swear to you have every tune that I've ever needed my whole life. And I said, well, I wish I had kept those intact. I still have them tattered. So I feel like you know, a lot of things were just uh, presented to me, um, I, um, when I was 19, I got in a scholarship to Berkeley, but I, there's a little period when I got a little regressive. I don't know why I didn't actually go. I don't, for some reason. And, uh, right. Well, you grew, yeah. you grew up in Philadelphia, yeah, well, I can right? I tell you that. It's I'm Philly. from Philly. Yeah, I'm from Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly. what I, right. But uh, I feel like, um, the track that leads to now, I was about 24, 25. I started doing this steady gig in Philly that somehow hooked me up into Atlantic City. And then I was in Atlantic City for about, uh, I had a house band gig at the Golden Nugget, which was really, okay. that wind up being my music school because it was a, it was already a, uh, it was already a, uh, a thing of the past when I was doing it. You basically had a house trio in a lounge and every week, I was backing up right. somebody else, uh, people that at that right. point were considered like has-beens, but actually the people we wanted to study. So I got to play with like Billy Eckstein, Jack Sheldon, uh, Fran Warren. Uh, it went from the sublime to the ridiculous, to some comedian, to some amazing, a uh, great singer from Chicago, Frank Derome, really amazing singer. So I got so much experience. So it, it's funny, I, right. I still regret that I didn't get away from uh, my home and, and go to music school just for the experience of getting around. But it seemed like my destiny uh, kept pulling at me. And that wound up being my music school, just on the job, practical training. And then I eventually moved, I moved to New York in uh, 88. I was Atlantic city about, for about six years, you know, but I feel like all that practical experience though, with show business, it taught me right. 
it taught me not to be a snob about any genre of music and accept the challenge of anything that's thrown at you. Because really, to be a complete musician, uh, should be able to embrace uh, any concept that that, that you have to deal with. It's all about being in context, you know. Right, which 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 you have done. Well, I mean, no question about it. When you look at all the recordings, you know, your from your Mozart to Beatles to you name it, right? I mean, you you've done it. Well, I should you know, so. I should tell you, uh, when I was fifteen, I started playing. I also around that time, I had some friends in high school that turned me on to uh, Afro Cuban music, and I started a love affair with that. And so I was right. playing in salsa bands in uh, Philadelphia as well. I was getting that indoctrination uh, even though like, I, actually, I actually have an Italian American heritage but I was I was really uh, 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 absorbing that so years later when I moved to New York I started doing this funny gig it's a classic ballroom it's called the, the Rainbow Room there's an American band and a Latin band so I wound up playing in the Latin band as well but th- there were some amazing musicians in the band at the time uh, uh, the bass player that's in the original Mongo Santa Maria uh, uh, group, wow. uh, Victor Venegas, Virgilio Marti, great percussionist, a great flutist from, uh, Panama, Mauricio Smith. So, uh, through doing that, I got into the Latin jazz thing. So, uh, you know, I wanted, I played with Ray Barreto for about five years, but also right. with Taco Valdez. Right. So, uh, a lot of people think right. of me, uh, as doing exclusively that because at one time I did, you know? Right. Right. So I, I'm I'm curious, you know, when you were back doing the, uh, when you started with the violin, were were you at that time on violin? Were you like listening to like Stefan Grappelli? Were you already like doing some of the jazz stuff with the violin? You know, uh, I think it developed more on the piano, but because I was falling in love with jazz, I remember going to the record store with my mom, and we're trying to find. Records with violinists. And at that time, there weren't too many people. You know, Ray Nance, right. Stefan Grappelli, right. you know, basically Joe Venuti, right. who's a right. generation of my grandfather, but, 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 you know, from Philadelphia, actually, from South Philadelphia. Right. Uh, yeah, there weren't too many stuff. Smith. Yeah, there weren't right. many options, you know. Right. Yeah, it's fascinating, though. But don't you think, you know, as a pianist, right? I always find it instrument, you know, to think instrumentally or to have that instrumental experience. Has that not helped your piano playing? Oh, totally. In shaping your you lines? Know, now I, right. I'm doing more and more uh, uh, string quartet writing, and I realize, uh, uh, you know, I, I produce a lot of projects for singers, and I'm about to do one with a this gal from Austria. She's a singer named Simone. I've been recording with her for like almost 20 years. And she wants half this record is going to be with string quartet. But I realize I, I have a little knowledge already of the instrument. So I, I think in terms of the instrument, you know, marking the bowings. And I feel like it's been right, very helpful. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Okay. So your mom was a big jazzer. She loved, she loved the, the jazz vocalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's again, you know, learning tunes from the, from the vocal side. Right. Well, you know, Golly, I, think, I, tell students, I think that developed my, uh, accompanying skills because you know we'd spend hours yeah. at the fake book and we go through the fake we right. go through the you know the number one fake book that's got three tunes per page and she'd pick out all right. the hip tunes you know oh this is a good tune let's do that one so i had a, a really good repertoire of tunes very young you know and i feel like my company skills somehow intuitively developed that way you know because as you do as you know i yeah. do a lot of accompanying for singers I, I love playing for singers 
Yeah. Well, you know, uh, something that sticks out about your playing, and we'll get we'll get into this a little bit more as well. Um, man, first of all, incredibly tasty, well, right? I mean, everything you play is so tasteful. It's unbel it's un it's unstinking believable. That's why I kind of have a love hate relationship with you, man. Because <laughs> uh, everything is so tasteful. But here's the other thing that really sticks out to me about your playing. Uh, your ability to play space blows me away. I love that. And also it is, and I, I want you to be able to talk about that here in a little bit too, but you're, a, you're also, your ability, it is obvious when you play, the emphasis is on the music and not you. And that's a huge statement, my friend. Mm -hmm. That's a huge statement because, I, you know, piano players, we tend to, we like to overplay, mm -hmm. right? We can very easily overplay. And all of a sudden, it things get shifted around when we start overplaying and it becomes more about us than it does about the music, right, right, you know? Right. But I never, ever, in everything I ever listen uh, of your playing, I it's it's never there. I mean, your space is there. It's all about the tune. And, uh, you know, Dave McKenna, I heard Dave McKenna in an interview one time. Oh, isn't yeah. he phenomenal? Uh, right. And I remember in an interview, uh, uh, the individual interview and kept referring to him as a jazz pianist. Mm -hmm. And and he finally and he finally said, stop. Will you, he said, we stop calling me a, a jazz pianist. And you know, the interviewer was kind of like, Take it back. Yeah. well, yeah, right. And, and he, he said, well, what, what should I call you? <laughs> it, and, and I love this answer. Dave McKenna says, I'm a song player. Oh, that's nice. I play songs. Wow. Is that, I mean, that, doesn't that say it all? It sure does. I mean, <laughs> it, right. It's about the music, mm -hmm. right. It's about the tune. So, mm -hmm. so, okay. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, when you were a teenager and you're starting to get, you got bit, like you said, you got bit by the jazz bug. Mm -hmm. All right. So now you're bit by the jazz bug. You're getting serious about learning how to play jazz piano. Talk to the jazz piano skills listeners about some of the things that you did at that point in time in your life as a beginner, as at the beginning stage of your journey, mm -hmm. right? To start getting your chops in shape. What kind of scale work did you do? Arpeggio work? Mm -hmm. What kind of voicing work did you do? Can you share with us a little bit about that? Well, for me, the first theoretical thing I learned was just some theoretical principles of the blues. They're very simple, like one, four, five progression, blues scale. Right. Which, again, you know, is right. like uh, it's theory derived after the fact. I'm sure the original blues players weren't thinking, oh, this is a blues scale. This is a, this is a one, four, five. In fact... <laughs> Quite interesting. Right. One time when I was on the road with right. Ray Barreto, I think, yeah, you get insomnia. And I was somewhere in, uh, oh, somewhere in France, and, and I was watching this German documentary that had, where they had assembled like a ton of, ton of traditional blues artists, like the, the real deal. These were the real guys, not exactly Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, but guys of that generation. And I'm listening to them play, and even the twelve bar blues, which is in a sense, academic, you know, uh, totally uh, symmetrical proportion. They don't even really right. keep to that. Like if the lyric wanted to go a little longer, they might stay a little longer on one chord. 
And even their sense of time was a metronomic. If they wanted to re- retard a little bit, or speak, they would do that. And and it was interesting. So I realized, you know, a lot of this theory comes after the fact. But, you know, we need the theory because you need a way in to understand it. So I started yeah, right. to, uh, I basically just got a little, you know, basically like one of those little charts of chords. And I started to play through the fake books myself, yeah. you know. Uh, but how I got into like much better chord voicing was uh, when I was 15, I started to study with a, a legendary teacher in Philadelphia, Jimmy Almaday. He's no longer with us. And uh, <coughs> um, I, like, I highly recommend his system of five note voicing because it's, it's how I learned. And uh, it's called Harmonic right. Foundation for Jazz and Popular Music. You can find his, his book online. So I started with that system, and it's not the only way to play, but I feel like it's a good uh, measurement to understand right. every other way to right. approach. And, you know, he would have you create voicings with five notes, not repeating a note, so you kind of understand the weight of every every note in the chord. And that's what started right. to get me into more sophisticated piano playing. He was also turning me on to pianists with beautiful touch, like I started to listen to uh, George Shearing. There's a great George Shearing oh. uh, solo record called My Shit. And the touch is just exquisite. Oh, right. I also started to listen. I had a solo record of Al Haig, uh, which also beautiful touch. So I started to really get the sense of touch, you know, that Chopin-esque touch. Um, I did some classical study, but uh, I have to confess I was never a consistent student with that. Like, I, I have a lot of classical influence uh, that people remark, but it's more from a listening and compositional and because I actually love right, right. I, I love a lot of right. that music and and, uh, and it's funny right. later on uh, I have many CDs on the uh, Japanese label of uh, Venus and they would uh, basically give me projects and I have three of them are actually jazz adaptions of classical themes there's a Mozart CD there's a list and there's a Chopin the Chopin has George Braz on it I like that point <laughs> oh wow! The rest of the wow. great player. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, uh, you, you touch upon something that's I, I think is very fascinating too. Uh, I try to stress to students, you know, you talk about the touch, right? You know, like George Shearing, or or maybe somebody's listening to a Red Garland. Oh yeah, the way Red Garland was a great touch. Right? Yeah, and right, and uh, I, I try to tell students all the time, you know, just try to imitate. Imitate that sound, imitate that touch, and not, and not even worry about the notes, right? Don't even worry about the notes you're playing. Right, Just right. whatever notes you're playing, imitate that, imitate that sound or that touch. I think that's really important. I used to do that. I used to, as a kid, I used to sit there and pretend that I used to pretend that I got a call from uh, Ray Brown that uh, Oscar Oscar was sick and 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 him and Ed Thigpen were in Chicago and they needed me to play and I said oh my gosh I got I got to I got to try to sound like Oscar Peterson so I, I'd sit there and I try to in my mom and dad's living room I try to imitate that sound that touch well there's right? there's three pianists to me that come to mind who are exceptional the most exceptional with uh, movement of inner voices. And I think oh. it's their beautiful touch that makes this available. It's like if you're not playing with that touch, it's all that's wasted. And the folks I'm thinking about are Hank Jones, especially, oh. you know, listen to some of his wow. arrangements of some of the spirituals. Right. I, I'm sure there was a little influence right. on Thad. I'm sure Thad must have been peeking over his shoulder. Right. I mean, right. the, well, the touch is exquisite. 
and the sense of the sense of subtlety is exquisite. The other yeah. person is uh, shearing, also amazing inner voices, and the other person is uh, is Bill Evans. You know, there's there's oh, always right. a sense of uh, counterline. It's like I feel like those three guys are really hearing instead of just a cluster of notes. I feel like they're really hearing each finger individually. It's yeah, amazing. they're hearing voices. Yeah, they really yeah they're hearing voices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah, mean, even, uh, right. Look, uh, Keith Jarrett has an amazing touch. Yes, but, you know, it's correct. funny. He tended to play. He tended to play almost mostly with one hand. Uh, but but the thing about him is the sound of the piano was so amazing. It didn't matter. You didn't miss anything. <laughs> correct. Absolutely right on. Spot on, yeah. man. Spot on. So okay, well, tell you know you mentioned Bill Evans. Wait. I read something online where you you were like like 19 or 18 and you went and you literally sat and watched Bill Evans. Oh yeah. That was, that was, that was pretty amazing. I remember always being intrigued by his playing. It was later in my twenties that I really started to listen to, uh, interpretations, you know, the record that starts with uh, Israel. Yeah. And, uh, and, to, right. and that's such an important record. It's funny when you watch the documentary, they had such an argument together, the trio, that the record almost didn't come out, and and it's wow. and it's historical. And to me, that's like his right. watershed uh, statement. Like I tell uh, piano students, that's a record you need. That's an important record you need to study because it's right. like the beginning, right. and that's a tremendous influence. Even that approach to trio playing, uh, it's a right. tremendous it's a, it's a tremendous influence on where where the music went. You know, right? Very innovative. Um, okay, so what about uh, I also read you studied with Lenny Tristano. Yes, yeah. I, I, so talk about I that. Was Nineteen, I got really into. Actually, I first fell in love with the playing of Lee Konitz, and then somebody said, right. to me, "Actually, it was my teacher Jimmy." He said, "Well, if you want to understand Lee Konitz, you need to check out Lenny Tristano." So I started to really get into Lenny Tristano, and there was a short period when I was actually obsessed with that music. You go through different stages. And that's all I was listening to. Like I was listening a lot to uh, Warren Marsh, who always played without piano. And then I realized, hey, well, I better start listening to groups with piano because see how the piano fits in. You know, those guys, uh, they kind of like the freedom of not having the piano, you know. Uh, but right, I, right. I feel like I got something out of that linear dimension. Uh, Lenny's thing was um, he wanted you to, and I did some of this, he wanted you to sing uh, solos. Uh, sing them along with the record until you really match the feeling. I remember bringing in the first solo that I sang, and he said to me, "It was only Conan solo, actually. I think on, uh, I think wow. it might have been on You Go to wow. My Head." And he said to me, "Okay, you got all the notes." He said, "But I, I want more of the feeling." He said, "I want to hear something of the soul of the man." He said, "Whatever the blank, I'll leave the expletive out. Whatever the blank that is." <laughs> But, but right. I remember one time I played, uh, I was blowing a willow weed for me and he, uh, he really liked how I played. And I remember, I remember him, uh, just cheering me on. And I remember one point he grabbed my hand because he felt like I needed to be more serious and dedicated. And he looked right at me, you know, he was blind, but he opened his eyes and he had like massive cataracts. So he, he just saw like there were no, there was no pupil there. It was a little scary, but I remember him looking right at me. <laughs> But he, but he, you know, the feeling was, was yeah. you know. 
I got like the last year of his life, you know, he passed. But I feel grateful to have met him. And and then afterward, I I did. I remember doing a lesson with the lead colonists and a couple with Warren Marsh. And I even met with Sal Mosca a couple times, you know, the disciples of that school, you know. Wow. Wow. So, uh, Don Sebesky. Mm-hmm. Yes. You studied with Yeah, well, you know, I, 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 I really enjoyed, I, I did the class and some individual with him, and uh, I got a lot out of that. And I, I really recommend Holy moly, his, yeah, wow. his book. I think it's a good, it gives you a good foundation yeah. to get started, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk. Everybody talks about scales. Mm-hmm. Scales, scales, right? People get into jazz. They, they, they get, they get introduced to their scales. They start going crazy practicing scales. How did you approach that? How did you, how do you approach? And do, do you still practice scales? Do you still do the technique work like that? How, talk to us about your scale work. Okay, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, no, I don't play scales at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, at this point in my life, I feel like they'll bog down, and I'll actually have some muscular problems with them uh the closest <laughs> i you know what i do for technique uh, i'll tell you what i do i take a bebop line and sometimes simply just like an eight bar bebop line you know uh and uh right. <clears throat> what i'll do is uh <clears throat> i'll <clears throat> i'll play it through the keys and i play it in a lot of different touches you know i might start actually playing it slowly uh, Straight eighth notes, actually, even. Like it was a classical A2. And then I'll play it first legato, and then I play it first staccato. And then I have another way of playing it kind of like this. Where I grab all all the notes in a phrase together. Yeah, yeah. You know? Right, right, right. Uh, And then then I put it into, uh, then I'll start to play it with a swing, you know, the way it should be played. And, uh, I gradually, uh, <clears throat> I kind of, uh, I'll start at the, let's say if I'm at 100 in a metronome, then I'll go to like 200. That I, I play at different tempos and different touches. Right. And I, I'll take a tune like that through the keys. And I, I find uh, I use that as an etude. And then uh, sometimes I have a little exercise for the weak fingers, you know, just, uh, you know, you know, basically something right. like that, you know. But the actual scales, right. no, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't play scales, but they're not good for me, like the turning under the thumb situation. It's not, it yes. It doesn't feel very good for me, you know? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny you say that. I, I studied classical uh, uh, piano for a while with a pianist, uh, Nina Lelchuk. And and Nina is from Russia, so she did her whole academic stuff, bachelor's, master's, and doctorate at the Moscow Conservatory. Oh. So, you know, real stick, real sticklers mm-hmm. for, for techniques, Russia, right? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, um, mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's interesting that you say about the thumb because I was literally uh, 22, 23, 24 right in there when I started studying with mm-hmm. her. And uh, she, I played scales and she stopped me immediately. And she said, this thumb under has to stop. She, she uh, made me re- regroup everything to where when I played, it, that she had me shift the hand over. She goes, the hand has to move. Gotcha. There's no thumb. She's, go, she's going like, there's no thumb under. Hand shifts over. Uh, gotcha. That makes more sense. 
Does that make yeah. more sense? So she, so she would make me practice. Check this out, John. She, I'd have to play like the C major scale. I'd have to go, I'd go C, D, E, and then I'd have to pick up my hand and move right, it over right. and then put my thumb down on F right. and play and continue with the, the scale. kind of leg- legato so, hand. Yeah, exactly. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Wow. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating that you you say that because she would concur with you one hundred percent. And so, gotcha. I mean, I think that's I think that's wonderful. And and I will say it transformed my technique getting getting out of that thumb under stuff. Something I explored a little bit too is uh this idea of rotation. You know about that? Like right. uh, uh, pianist I know had studied, but the guy a guy in D.C. Les Carr, who's I think coming out of this mate. And so the idea of just, oh, okay. you know, think right. of the rotation, the rotation of the wrist, you know, so your, your, right. your, uh, your fingers are, aren't so involved in the work. You know, I studied a right. bit with, uh, Sophia Rosoff. It's actually, uh, uh, I had seen a Barry Harris solo concert and I oh. said, boy, Barry, you're so relaxed. He's all by himself and he's playing this breakneck <laughs> tempo and he's like, right. he wasn't really, straining himself to feel the time or do anything. And he was playing just like he would as if a rhythm section was there. In fact, you probably could record that and, and put the bass and drums on it. I, and I said, Barry, right. I said, Barry, how do you do that? And he wrote down this name, Sophia Rosoff. I remember he had the most beautiful handwriting. I, I, I didn't say that. He wrote that down. He says, that's how she pronounces it and call her. And her whole thing was that you don't play the piano with your fingers, that you're pushing off from your feet. The finger is just the contact point, you know, so ah, you don't get bogged down. Interesting. So uh, she had a, uh, I don't know if he's still around, but one of her uh, protégés would teach, his name was uh, John Kamitska, Kamitska, a Japanese-American mm-hmm. guy, you know, uh, uh, i his name right, um, so I, I I spent some time with him. So I kind of studied that school a little bit, you know. Yeah, fascinating. So um, so yeah, it's interesting that you don't uh, you know practice scales. You know, I I interviewed uh, uh, Bert Ligon was on Jazz Piano Skills a, a couple months ago, and and he said he didn't practice scales either. He said, but I do practice. He said I do practice arpeggios with passing tones. Wow. <laughs> isn't that an interesting that is way? A, isn't that a, wow. right inter- <laughs> interesting way to say that right <laughs> so um so anyway okay so uh tune study you mentioned that you know you had these fake books you had tunes right, right. so how do you how you sit down with a tune that you want to learn a tune that you want to add to your repertoire right. uh how do you approach doing that what, what are the steps that you go to go through to truly learn a tune? Sure, because I'm doing that all the time. In fact, I'm doing a lot of uh, recording projects like a, like I just did a Van Heusen project uh, with a great, oh, wow. really talented wow. young singer. Her name is Lucy Winans. And a great band uh, Peter Washington, uh, Willie Jones, uh, uh-huh. Harry Allen, Dave Stryker. And actually, they were she picked some obscure Van Heusen that I didn't know. So wow. to me, step one is Get the sheet music. Uh, I actually have this great, there's this great place in uh, Las Vegas called Hollywood Sheet Music. And if I can't find something, okay. they, they have, they send you anything. They send you a PDF for like, you know, 78 bucks or something. It's a great deal. So, um, wow. I like to look at the original sheet music and see what did the composer originally have. And, and sometimes it's beyond looking at the chord symbols. 
you really need to look at the piano music sometimes right. and see right. what were they really, because right. that gives you the full information. So I like to see first, what was the original idea of what it is? Then I think another place to go is to listen to uh, great masters, you know, like whether it be Tommy Flanagan, Hank Jones, uh, uh, Red Garland, you know, how, how did they approach the tunes? Because it's important to get an idea of like, what's the tradition of how our jazz community approached the tunes? Because there are certain right. accepted right. ways to harmonize the tune that everyone should know. Because if, if you go to a jam session or something, you pull out the tune like, hey, you should be ready that that's what that's going to be. Now, there's a third way to look at it, which I eventually get to. What's my personal relationship with the tune? How, what do I hear? What really kind of works for me? And sometimes I spend a lot of time uh, going back and forth, like, wow, do I really want to force that change? And I find as I get older, I I, I go back more to, like, what the original uh, color was. Like, how, how can I make that work? You know, what, what was the original right. vibe? You know? Yeah, and it's right. funny. Yeah, yeah. again... The emphasis being placed on the, the tune. Oh, exactly. Yeah, what best brings out right. the tune? Yeah, I never want to feel like yeah. I'm strong, as Dexter Gordon would say, I'm strong-arming right. it, strong-arming the tune or, or, or uh, brutalizing it in any way. Like, what's going to make right. it really, right. what is it really? Like, you know, it's funny. There was a tune that I recently uh, recorded. I hadn't played before. Uh, it's called... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just recorded it. It's called. Uh, oh God! Hey, John, have you ever seen a moment? Man? Uh, yeah, I'm going totally blank. I just recorded, but it was actually new to me, and it took me a minute to like. It took me a minute to accept. Deep in a dream of you. Deep in a dream. What's it called? Deep in a dream. Oh God, I have to look it up. Uh it's a Jimmy Van Usen song. <laughs> I'm going totally blank. Let's see if I go. I, 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 oh, wow. Deep in a Dream. I think it's called Deep in a Dream. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's funny. That's funny. But see, yeah. but what's interesting is, yeah, are, the, are the lyrics running through oh, your yeah, mind? Yeah, right yeah. Because, of course, I tell you, mentioned see? the part. Yeah, see, how, how important are lyrics, right? Yeah. Talk about that when you learn it. Well, tune. that's important, too, because you want to look at. Uh, I mean, I'm always preaching this to singers. That's number one. Like sometimes right. jazz singers or whatever, they're so in love, some, or singers in general, they're so in love with the sound of their voice and the intervals that they're singing. But, you know, right. if you're not telling the story, none of that, that doesn't mean anything. Unless you decide you're going to take the route of, a, a, you know, virtuals like Bobby McFern and just throw the lyrics out the window. Yeah, you can do that. But if, but if you're dealing right. with the lyric, you know, deal with it. It's the most important thing. That's why, you know, someone who really doesn't have a particularly uh, great voice, if, if they can, if they can uh, make you feel the lyric and tell the story, it, it works. Yeah. It works. Yeah. It, it, it absolutely works. Right. Um, you know, I want to backtrack for a second. It's interesting when you're talking about some of the uh, technique uh, approaches that you do in practicing and how really how fundamental those technique approaches, that those approaches are and again the emphasis on isn't it funny how as the older we get and the more we mature as a musician that we tend to want to run back to the starting line mm -hmm. you know exactly. back to those fun 
back to the fundamentals, back to the back to the beginnings because they're so crucial to to continue to practice, yes. right? It's like it's like going to spring training. It's like going to spring training baseball and watching the best athletes in the world practicing fielding a ground ball or make catching a pop up, right? You're going like, wait a minute, these guys should be way beyond this. No, they're not way beyond this. That they understand that that's the fundamentals of the game. That's like that's the foundation. Yeah, I think that's a, I think it's a very good point. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating that uh, that you that you ap- approach it that way. Now, okay, so. Um, then after how much with the tune study do you focus on uh after you have the chord changes that a set uh changes mm-hmm. how much do you interject into that then how much do you like uh, uh reharmonize or chord substitutions how do you approach that well, you know my my personality is always there um i mean sometimes i re-envision something you know far from where it is where where it began uh it's starting right. point but i think for me that happens more if i adapt something totally different like let's say i took a standard and i'm re-envisioning it because i play sometimes in a brazilian setting and i'm re-envisioning in a brazilian okay. setting right so that right brings New uh, parameters to me, or I'm re-envisioning it in right. some some uh, rhythm that you know. Um, what I usually don't do, unless it just comes to me, I'm I'm usually not trying to like. Uh, for me personally, obscure it totally, like you know, reharmonize it to the reharmonize it to the point where it's totally different. But I I have nothing against doing that. But it's funny. I, I'm yeah. more coming from the other way. I'm more trying to look at what essence of what it is yeah. and see that see what that suggests you know yeah, i know some folks right. come from the other way like how much can i change it you know how can i how can i get it so you don't even recognize it anymore yeah so i i don't usually use that yeah. approach but i have nothing against that i appreciate everybody's creativity yeah you know i i had a teacher that used to say to me all the time whenever i would reharmonize a tune and go crazy with it he would always say look if you want to if you want to play body and soul play body and soul but if you want to write a new tune write a new right. tune <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it seems like some folks um they're i never like what's the word try i like to see organically what i hear you know i like what hindman said in his composition book he said you should only write what you hear you know like right. not see it's funny. This quote is on the back of a. Is it gets gets a Gilberto? Uh, one of the classic gets Bossa oh, Nova records. Right. And it said something like he said, "Music should not seek abstraction." You know, I think it, let it happen uh, organically. You know? Yeah, right. That's really good. That's that's really really good. So, um, all right. So, how about how about this? I think you know, beginning jazz students, folks that are at the at the start of their journey are always trying to develop improvisational skills. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big, it's a, it's a foggy area for a lot of folks. You know, how do I practice improvisation? Mm-hmm. So when I want you to think back and even, even today when you sit down and practice and, and improvise, how do you approach, how did you begin approaching practicing improvisation and how do you continue to do it today? Gotcha. Well, you know, it's a language, so 
just like the way we use language, we have a you know we make a de- we we have a definite sentence. We have a phrase that right. has a definite meaning. So um, the thing to think about is creating a a motif, a musical motif, because you're sort of composing on the spot that uh, has you know melodic merit that uh, in the old the old timers would say. Uh, you know, say something. The old timers would say, like, uh, somebody played really well. They say, he's saying something. Meaning, uh, you know, it's a language of the heart. It's not exactly like, oh, yesterday, last Tuesday, I, but, you know, so the idea is, uh, Mike Longo told me, Dizzy Gillespie would always say, start with a definite statement, and then the next thing you play should be a collaborative statement, you know. So, you know, you think about motivic development, which is old as the hills, you know. You know, for example, right? Motivic development, you know, those cats, like, you know, they wrote a whole hour of music based on three notes. (laughs) So you think about it. So uh, those principles are still there. And I recommend for students who are beginning, I teach them, like, the fundamentals of the blues, the really fundamentals, just a very simple, you know, blues scale. Uh Stuck with the sound. And a very simple one, four, five progression. And I'm thinking, okay, in the very beginning, give me some kind of a blues motif and then carry that motif all through. Because even though, okay, you've got simple elements, say yeah, I've got them restricted to a scale, which you don't really have to be, but, it, you know, and restricted to a certain progression. And uh, if you can start to create uh, meaningful motifs in this simple way, then when you deal with more com- complex harmony, you should be able to do that too, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's interesting because you use the blues as an example. If you listen to blues vocalists, that's exactly what the vocalist is doing. They create a motif oh, and they yeah. repeat that motif and then they repeat that motif and they repeat right, that motif. Right, right. right? And, and, they, and they develop that the motif. Bars. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like that's a, a good fundamental way to learn. Also, the blues, some feeling of the blues should always be there. That's part of what makes jazz what it is, you know? Right. It's always right. there. Even if it's very subtle, it's there, you know? That's, it's, it's always there, yeah, right? it is always right. there. The spirit of the movie. It's always there. That's right. So, um, yeah, so okay, along that then with the improv, how much did transcriptions play in your development, uh, the study of transcriptions? Did you do a lot of transcription study? You know, um, I, when I was with Tristano, I did a lot of singing, and I know things entered me that way. Uh, I did a lot of listening. Um, You know, I actually, I I didn't do a lot of transcription, but I but I but I think it's probably a good thing to do because you're you're constantly getting uh, a lot of new information. You know, Uh, but I, I, I recommend it. I, I personally didn't do yeah. it. I, I think I kind of absorbed a lot of things just uh, by osmosis. But yeah, I kind of. But the transcription, yeah, the transcription, creates a kind of osmosis too. Because I remember Lee Collins yes. telling me, he said, even if you're totally imitating something you heard from somebody else, eventually that's going to sort of mutate and transform in you, and it'll become yours, and it'll become something uh, yeah, new. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I totally agree with that. You know, I tell, um, uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of subscribe to like I, Michael Brecker one time said that 
he never transcribed, but what he did do really? was wow. if he, yeah, he, yeah, he said that he would, he said he would hear, if he heard something that he liked, yeah. then he would go, he would play gotcha. it. Gotcha. Then he would, wow. he would play it and work with wow. it, right? But he was never one, he was never one transcribing from the beginning of a solo all the way to I the end it. of the solo. He would, you take, would think he transcribed take, every Coltrane solo. No, he had his unique it, sound. He didn't imitate Coltrane. Right. You, you, right. They had so much music in him. You would think, oh, you would my think he transcribed everything. Wow. So he, everything. it's interesting that he said that. Wow. Yeah. And and um and like what you were just talking about, which I think is fascinating too. I always I, I, I like that where you take a snippet, maybe maybe you hear something Bill Evans did mm-hmm. and then you you take that idea and continue to play it and as you were mentioning, it starts to morph and starts to become something of yours. Exactly. You know? It's a natural and, process. And now it's it's a natural process. So what I try to tell students is don't try to take a Bill Evans lick and then drop kick it into a foggy day in London town. It, it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it does that, the translation always doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So um, interesting. Okay. Another thing when, when people check you out and they listen to you, at least I'm, I, I am always amazed when I sit and listen to you play your sense of time, time, how did you develop such a strong internal sense of time? Gee, you know, I think what helps that a lot is just simply playing in a rhythm section. So, you know, I dealt with Afro-Cuban music, I dealt with Brazilian music. Even early on, I was right. playing in a bands, you know, playing some funk and some pop music. And I actually embraced it all. And, you know, playing the straight-ahead situation, I think playing in a rhythm section as much as possible uh, really helps yeah. with that. And also just uh, committing yourself to uh, a groove. You know, I think um, the rhythm is the most important thing. Uh, like you can, you can make that, uh, you can make that the primary focus. You know, I once was teaching right. a, a college ensemble and I had a pianist who I could tell hadn't really developed much jazz concept yet. So I told him, I, I think it might have been a blues. I told him to play a solo using only one note, the time, right. you know. Right. So, and and that forced him to think, beep, 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 It forced him to think rhythmically. And it actually, it actually worked. Like he was starting to think. And I said, okay, now add some other notes. So I, I gave I gave him that as an exercise just because I could tell he he was just all over the place, you know. <laughs> right, right. You know that's really that's really fascinating. Yeah, I I had a teacher that 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 used to do that with me too, right? And he and 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 he would he would always say, "Hey, can you improvise with one note?" And I'd go, uh, you know, of course I'm like 14 years old. I go, uh, 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 no, and he goes, so then, then why do you think adding a second note is going to make it easier?" <laughs> yeah, right. Hello. Because <laughs> when you think, right. you know, rhythm, even in speech, you know, I was just saying to, I, I had a uh, Zoom student yesterday from Australia, and I was saying, you know, if, uh, if, uh, his name was Tommy. I said, if I if you turn on the Zoom and I said, hi, Tom, me, how <laughs> are you? Right. You would think, boy, something's really strange about John what, cognitively, you know. So yeah, so it's it's a rhythm of the speech that it makes sense. It makes you know where you put the you know, or they say you know, putting the emphasis on the right uh, syllable, 
you know, that kind of thing. Oh, that's important. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. Yeah. And, and the emphasis on rhythm, right? Again, I had another teacher who used to sit there and he used to sit at the piano and he used to comp. Now, John, there was no there was no rhythm section. There was no bass player. Right. There was no drummer. There's no play backing track. There's nothing. And he's in his living room and he'd sit there and he'd start comping. And I'd sit there and watch him. And he would literally go on to the point that it got uncomfortable. It'd be like five minutes into it, eight minutes into it, 10 minutes into it. And then he'd finally look up at me and he'd go, I could do that all day. Wow. And, and, and I think what you're getting at, that is so vitally important mm -hmm. for development of time mm -hmm. and feel and improvisational skills, that rhythmic dimension. Yeah. So to be able to sit there and just practice comping, wouldn't you agree yeah. that that is like that's a great, vital? That's a great exercise. I actually do that in my practice. I do that in my practice. And, you know, some great examples of that, like, you know, well, amazing example of it is a hard silver, you know. And he even uh -huh. talked about that. He said when he played behind a soloist, he wanted to bring that soloist, you know, to their to their uh, zenith of what they could do. Right. Uh, you listen right. to how Red Garland comped, uh, you know, yeah. behind Miles and even his left hand. Right. You know, I used to go back to Philly later on after I moved to New York. I used to do this gig at this club in Philly that no longer exists with uh, Mickey Roker, who had moved back to Philly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's no longer living. Yeah. Arthur Harper, well, Arthur Harper. But I remember Mickey telling me, uh, you know, he said, you know, our job as rhythm section players is to help whoever we're playing behind, help them find the deepest groove that they can find. And he added, he said, even if they're sad, which means even if they're playing as a little uh, shaky. And I thought, wow, look at the dedication and humility of this great right. man. Who actually could have an attitude? He's played behind Sonny Rollins. He's played behind Disney. Yeah, right. It's like well, I got to play right. behind you. And I thought, wow, if he's that humble and that giving, and thinking about that, I said, you know, I I feel like well, I need to follow that example. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, um, okay, so. Here you are in New York City. You're like the dude, man. You oh, are like the dude. There's a lot of dudes New York here. City. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah, there are. Yeah. That's very oh. true, man. Yeah, that's why. And, and that's, up. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and that's why that's why I live in Dallas. Oh, John. There's a lot. There, there, there's too many dudes. There are too many dudes there in New York City. <laughs> so. Um, but but you you're playing where 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 can folks hear you man where, where can they come out and hear you play in uh, well, I'm playing in, a lot in New York City in these days uh, right now I'm doing it every Wednesday night with two great guitar players Frank Vignola and Jimmy Bruno wow. who's yeah. from Philadelphia from my uh, neighborhood of Philadelphia but I just I just did a week there with Harry Allen um, I have a lot of things coming up uh, I play a lot also with another great guitarist Ed Cherry. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of uh, yeah. The guitarists love you, man. Guitarists love well, you. It's fun, you know. The thing about piano and guitar—that's the whole thing in itself. You know, less is more really applies. And yeah, so, right. I enjoy <clears throat> playing with guitar, <clears throat> you know, because it, uh, it, you know, it can get cluttered if everybody's trying right. to fill the field. You know, <clears throat> you know. I would right. say, think of Miles Davis. He, you can tell, he really never played to impress, he'd wait 
to like hear what his inner soul or what the universe was telling him to play. And he'd wait right. and lay out for as long as he wanted until he heard that. And he really couldn't care if you were impressed or not. It was an organic part. And I think we all need to approach that way. The problem is everybody's so nervous. I got to fill up the space. I got to fill up the space. You know. <laughs> but you know. Aren't we? Yeah. We're, 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 I, I've always I said, I, I've always said uh, space, silence makes piano players nervous. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we don't have to breathe. And guitar players can be guilty of the same thing. The elite sport Correct. players, they have to breathe, especially brass players. So they have to have space. They have to rest the chops. And it, I think it makes them play a little more musical. Whereas, uh, you know, we not, we can actually just keep going, you know, but it's not musically that's, the best idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's fascinating that you say that too, because a lot of times when I sit down and play transcriptions, I like to go play transcriptions of like Chet Baker wow. or, you know, I, I like to play the horn players wow. because, because they're teaching me how to breathe. Exactly. Exactly. Because they out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. And you right. think you know, vocal exactly music right. is all based on that. Basically, you know, the biggest compliment, somebody says, well, you make the piano sing, or you sing when you play. That's the best compliment. So, you know, it, it gets back to the voice, I think, in the end. <laughs> yeah. So who are some of your biggest, let's kind of wrap up this way. Sure. Who are some of your biggest jazz piano influences? Who are who are your go-to well, jazz piano is, players? That you number one is probably all the pianists say this is Herbie Hancock, you know, to me. Yeah, right. Know? But I... I you can't see, but on this wall are the four, behind you are the four greats. There's for me, there's Joe Zawinul. He's he looks kind of tough. I know he was kind of tough. And then there's Herbie Hancock, and then there's Chick Corea, and then there's Keith Jarrett. And I have to say, to this day, I feel like those four are like if you look at the breadth of their creativity and all the music oh they touched God. on, it's it's not unparalleled. But you know, Bill Evans, <clears throat> you know, Hank Jones. Oh, There's a lot of people I love. Uh, Horace, I know I, I think when I play in a Latin jazz setting, I get a lot from Horace, you know. You don't think of him as a you know, Latin jazz pianist, but in terms of his groove, you know. Yeah. How much, I, I'm just curious, uh, how much influence did Errol Gardner have on you? On me? Not that much, but... I didn't tell you one of the things I practice sometimes I take a ballad or I take eight bars of a ballad and I play it through the keys and I play it in different styles. And one of the things I'll do is play it in an Earl Gardner style. I yeah, I'll right? do that. I also play in a Red Garland style. I play in a George Shearing style. I play in a stride. <laughs> I play with a Brazilian left hand. I play it, uh, I play what I call a cowboy left hand. You know, I have all these different like right. piano things, and I'll sometimes go through the keys playing a tune that way as a practice, which is a real interesting practice to do. You know, and, then I, yeah, and so I start that with a free improvised version of that. I'm actually playing like atonal. This is something I got out of Kenny Werner's book, and I kind of put my own little <clears throat> spin on it. But I play what I call an imaginary ballad in all those different styles. It's actually wow. totally yeah. improvised. And then I take a real tune and do it, you know? Yeah. And, and you move through the keys. You, right. you practice in the, the various keys. keys. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's so important, important to do that. You know, when you play for singers, yeah, you're going to get, especially uh, uh, female oh, singers for some reason, They their voices for some reason sound really great. And, you know, E, A, B, I don't know why, but the, <laughs> it, it makes a big difference. You know, a horn yeah, players yeah. are like, well, why do you have to do it in that key? But it really makes a difference because 
I rehearse with singers all the time, and a half step makes a big difference. <laughs> it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. I used to, I used to, I used to play with a, a a girl singer, and she used to sing "Girl from Ipanema" in E. Mm-hmm. And I and I'd go like, really? I said, you can't do it in F, one half step up. And she goes, no, E. I go, okay. <laughs> so here we go. Guitar players like that key, and uh, especially actually Brazilian music, those sharp keys. They like having the open strings. It's something about the right. resonance of the guitar. What they can access, right. it actually makes a right. difference. Right, right, makes a huge difference. Right. <laughs> so, wow, that's fascinating. So, I would encourage again, like I I said at the beginning, uh, your website has a, a wealth of information on there. You know about your all your recordings, you. the albums that you've done. The, like you said, there's videos they can uh, listeners my, can check you out. My latest, if I can plug, is a uh, Passion Flower. It's a uh, music oh, on yes. And it has a, a cameo from a great singer, Raul Midon, but it also features Eric Alexander and uh, Louis Ash yes. and Boris Kozlov. Please uh, check it's it out fantastic. if you can on Sunnyside Records. Right. You're right. Hey, and real quick, talk a little bit real quick about the Mozart uh, oh, project. That yeah, was that was, was fat. That's that's I, I was listening to that. That's unbelievable. Thank you. That's one of the projects I did for Venus early on. It was like my third uh my group for Venus Records is called John Martino's Romantic Jazz Trio. I'm like, okay, call me yes. at late for dinner. Anyway, <laughs> that has Boris Kozlov uh, and a great right. drummer originally from Cuba, uh, Ernesto Simpson. He now lives in England, actually. And uh, okay. great drummer, uh, a great drummer of anything, uh, straight ahead, uh, Cuban music. Actually, the, when he lived in New York, the Brazilian musicians loved him. He has a great Brazilian feel. Uh, Ernesto Simpson, like I said, originally from Cuba, and uh, that was a that was a fun project, you know. Oh my gosh, it's 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 wonderful. I want everyone to check it out. It's, especially classical music lovers need to check it out, man. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> it's really awesome. So, um, hey, like I told you, my son is out there in New Jersey. He plays baseball for. He goes to the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Wow. Plays baseball for them and. So I, I go out there to visit, man. When I'm out there, I'm going to look you up, brother, and I'm going to come check you. I want to come check you out and, and hear you play. Send me, I'd love for and, you to come out to the gig. It'd be fun. Oh man, I would love. I would absolutely love that. So and and would love to have you back on too, jazz piano skills in, in the future. Yeah, have to have you come back on. Maybe we'll pick some very specific topics and kind of drill down deeper on some stuff and. That would be uh, fun, especially the Latin styles, sure. the Latin piano style. That would be that would be fantastic. So, John, I can't thank you enough, my friend. It has been a joy. Uh, like I said at the beginning, you know, you're one of the the Michael Jordans and Mickey Mantles oh. of uh, of j- of jazz piano. You know, so I know you got those pictures up there of Keith Jarrett and Chick Corea and Herbie. Well, in my office, I'm gonna. I got. I got those too, but I got you as well. Oh, so, gee, thank uh, you. <laughs> so, so anyway, so thanks, thanks for being a part of Jazz Piano Skills. And I know the Jazz Piano Skills listeners are going to enjoy everything that you've uh, shared with us today. And so, on behalf of all the listeners, thank you from the bottom of all of our. Thank hearts. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I hope you have found this Jazz Piano Skills podcast with special guest jazz great John DiMartino to be insightful and, of course, to be very beneficial. One of my mentors and teachers, Al Franzen, used to say to me after every lesson, never forget, the greatest thing about music is the people you meet through it. And the privilege of meeting and spending time with John simply confirms Al's sentiment 100%. 
10%. Don't forget, if you are a Jazz Panel Skills member, I will see you online Thursday evening at the Jazz Panel Skills Masterclass, 8 p.m. Central Time, to discuss this podcast episode featuring John DiMartino in greater detail and to answer any questions that you may have about the study of jazz in general. As always, you can reach me by phone through the Dallas School of Music at 972-380-8050, by email, Dr. Lawrence, drlawrence at jazzpianoskills.com, or by SpeakPipe. It's a handy little widget found throughout the Jazz Piano Skills website. Well, there is my cue. That's it for now. And until next week, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the pearls of wisdom shared by John DiMartino. And most of all, have fun as you discover, learn, and play jazz piano.